What's up, guys? This is football running back Sam Slade, and you are listening to the State of the Marauders podcast, sponsored by D1 Media Pro, the number one live stream in the state of New Jersey for high school sports. Welcome, everyone, to another edition of the State of the Marauders podcast, where we will cover everything about your St. Peter's Prep Marauders. This week, we're going to feature all the post-game reaction analysis from the 61-0 victory by the football team over the Paramus Catholic Paladins at SHI Stadium last Friday. Pat Lanny, who came on the podcast before, was covering the game for NJ.com, and he's going to be on this week to discuss what he saw from the Marauders in this one. And, of course, he's back. The big man himself, Rich Hansen, with another segment of the 80s Corner. It's been a while since we, we last spoke with him. So it's, it's going to be interesting to, to hear from Rich Hansen as this is going to be his first appearance since retiring from coaching duty. And it's going to be right here on the State of Mars podcast. So again, stay tuned for that. We got a big episode on tap. We can always be found on any of your listening devices, on Apple, on Spotify, on Anchor, you name it, we're there. So be sure to search State of the Murders or follow us on our social media profile at SOT Murders to see all of the exclusive Marauder content. As always, I am your host, Ronald Rodriguez, along with another very special co-host this week. Last week, we had Kevin Connolly, class of 2016, and this week... This guy who's going to be on with us, he also graduated from the class of 2016. He's a very important person in the media business, okay? He's a co-host of the podcast Talking Giants, which has over 11,000 followers on Twitter. And to me, at least, it's the number one source for everything New York Giants. So, ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome in Justin Pennick to the podcast. Justin, welcome. Thank you for spending some time with us this week. Renato Rodriguez, thank you so much for having me. I would like to, as long as I can be a witness to the game, I would like to make this maybe like an every week kind of thing. You know, me me being uh, knowing a little bit about football and how to talk about some football and me graduating from St. Peter's, you being the uh, team reporter for St. Peter's Prep, all St. Peter's Prep Athletics. I would like to make this an every week thing during the, the football season. And this is kind of a historic episode for the State of the Marauders podcast. And also this is... What happened on Friday was a pretty historic event for St. Peter's Prep football and St. Peter's Prep athletics because for the first time, basically since the Beatles were taking over the world, um, Rich Hansen, the big man, was not on the sideline, but it was his son who was uh, navigating and controlling the sidelines for this football team. And honestly, Renato, this football team and this new era of St. Peter's Prep football could not have gotten off to a better start. Right, and, and Justin, the big man was on the sideline, but he just wasn't coaching. <laughs> right, he wasn't patrolling the sidelines like he usually was. Yeah, right, right. He, he just relaxed and had a good time talking to all his buddies out there. But yeah, it, it's a new era, a new era. You know, Coach Hansen got the Gatorade bath after the game, and you know what, Justin? Let, let, let's get right into it. Let, let's talk about what we saw on Friday against Premise Catholic, and this game early on. You know. It was delayed a little bit because, you know, there was rain and thunderstorms in the area. It's about a 35 to 40 minute delay due to rain and lightning in the area. And I, I spoke with Nico Duarte briefly after the game. And he, and he told me after those, especially those two missed PATs earlier, 
Like it was an adjustment for him to get used to the field conditions after it, it, it poured and like it was muddy and, and conditions were not great out there. Yeah, and I can imagine combining the field conditions with you're in Rutgers too. You know, that's something right. I know you mentioned on last week's show that you were going to be playing in Rutgers. But for those of you who are just tuning in, this this game was not played in Primus Catholic, it was not played at Cave and Point. It was played in Rutgers. So you have the feeling of Wow. And I, wow. Like I can see myself playing collegiate football here. And I guarantee you every single kid on the sidelines for both teams is thinking that same exact thing. So positive to this, imagine what the field might've looked like. and might've, uh, the field conditions might've been if it was either at high school, if it was at either high school field, I think it was a little bit better considering that this is a right. college field. So, right. but you're, you know, that you're totally right about the transitions for, especially your first time being out there this year. Getting used to that field, I'm sure, was an adjustment period for both teams, and certainly St. Peter's Prep dealt with that pretty well. And as you mentioned, you know, the energy was high for both teams. You know, again, you're playing at a college venue. You know, it's state of the arts. Yeah, it's, it's fantastic. And you know, both teams were very excited, and the Marauders pretty much decided to flip the switch within the first two plays of the game, which Justin will talk about more. But again. Rich, Rich Hansen decides to go for an onside kick on the very first play from kickoff and then does a nice little reversal to Zion. Justin, you get, the momentum definitely switched like that with those first two plays. Well, we're not, you know, when you kick off the ball, there is no momentum. And right. a lot of people don't believe in momentum in sports. But even as somebody who likes the analytics side of football, I 100% do think that there is momentum. And I love in his first game. Both coaches are new on both sidelines, by the way, I'm pretty sure. Yes, yes. That he decided to start his era, the Rich Hansen era, by being aggressive, taking the reins of that football game. And I am a fan, and I am a guy who talks about football. I love aggressive football. I love when coaches are aggressive because you play to win the game. You coach to win the game, too. You don't coach just not to lose. So you it's that opening to kickoff. win the game. You play yeah, to win I, the I know you love Herm Edwards. So – that opening kickoff where it was the onside kick. And then not just that onside kick, it was that wide receiver reverse. That was a first and 10. That was a big play that put him on the other side of the 50 yard line that put him in the red zone. That was awesome to start the game. Those two plays back to back onside kick and wide receiver reverse. And I know you like your big plays, Justin, your big play type of guy. Oh yeah. Unlike Jason Garrett, of course. But when <laughs> Stop. I'm, no, when no, I'm giants, no giants. No giants. <laughs> I'm not going to talk about that on the podcast. You we, let's talk about the wide receivers, right? You know, they had had a lot of yards after the catch in this one. You know, they had the track speed. Sam Slade, Fitzway Legister, you know, both had touches both on the track team. And you know, all the wide receivers that the team has, a lot of speed. They're definitely gonna be causing mismatches, not only in the game against Premise Cali, but throughout the season, I'm sure. Yeah, and you know, Zion Fowler had a touchdown, and I'm I'm sure he I'm pretty sure he was the one that took the reverse on that first play of the game. So he had okay. a touchdown. Zion Fowler, Fitzroy Legister, who is actually a track star. I mean, he yeah. broke all those. You talked about him all spring. I mean, he was one of your athletes of the year on this podcast. And you know, I think he should have a really good connection with Champ Long this year. And also sophomore Hassan Moore. I think mm -hmm. there there was a play that he made in the first half where the yards after the catch and the broken tackles was extremely yes. impressive. And this St. Peter's prep offense, you know, Coach Rhino Flaherty's offense, it's a spread offense that is naturally designed for wide receivers to get open, and it's done a good job for that for years. But what can these wide receivers do in terms of their individual effort after the catch? 
that is a huge question this year, especially as the group is relatively young and there's a lot of new faces in there. And the fact that they did it week one and they kind of showed out week one, despite Champ Long only having some 13 pass attempts, that was extremely yes. impressive. So the more this offense can kind of open up, and it is week zero too, not even week one. Week zero, they only week had zero. one scrimmage together. The fact that they were able to show that individual effort is really, really impressive. And think about this, only nine catches to nine catches, 199 yards. So it's, it's pretty impressive by this receiving yep. for sure. Absolutely. The tandem in the backfield, the thunder and lightning, you know, Sam was on the all-access episode for Jersey Sports Zone, mentioning that this backfield tandem is the most talented in the state of New Jersey, and they proved why in this game. They had a combined five total touchdowns, Justin. Unbelievable game by those two. Yeah, and you know, you look at the 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 final score of the game and you watch the game and then you look at the box score and find that Sam Slade had seven carries for 25 yards and then Paul <laughs> Leftwitz had five carries for 44 yards. You would think if it's a, if a game that's 60 to nothing, you would think that there's running backs that are putting up 250 yards because you're rushing for the majority of the game. But no, not really. But again, impact on the football field that those guys had, you know, where Kevin Conley, I thought, broke it down perfectly the week before, too, talking about Thunder and Lightning, how Sam Slade is that quicker kind of back. He is going to be more of an explosive play option who you also can put out there as a wide receiver. I think of like the LaVisca Chenoltz of the world or the Lynn Bowden, the Lynn Bowdens of the world. If you're talking about like NFL prospects in terms of gadget players who can do it all as receivers and running backs, I compare Sam, Sam Slade to those guys. And Paul Lefkowitz, man, Paul Lefkowitz is just a fun foot. If you're an old school fan, Paul Lefkowitz is so uh -huh. fun to watch in this spread offense, by the way, too. But I do need to talk about one thing because even though, you know, yeah, you know, the, the dynamic duo of Sam Slade and Paul Lefkowitz, they did have a good game, but it's still, it wasn't one of those stuffing the box score or stat sheet, stat sheet games that they usually can have. But what made this game, at least in my opinion, on a couple of those touchdowns was tight end Trent McGahee. You know, he right. didn't ha necessarily make an impact in the receiving game. But tight end Trent McGahey, I think he's listed online as like 6'3", 6'4", 240 pounds, yes. which I know, I know the height, I, you know, we have to be real, Renato. The the high school sites like to overestimate sometimes an inch or two and maybe 10 or 15 pounds, but still, it's a big boy. I mean, I think Evan, Evan Ingram is 6'3", 6'4", 240 pounds, and he's an, he's an NFL tight end. So Trent McGahey, what he can bring for this offense that St. Peter's Prep hasn't had in a very, very long time is sealing the edge in the running game on offense in terms of blocking and having that blocking tight end and having a good blocking tight end. It could be the difference between having an outside zone scheme that you can feel confident in running outside the tackles versus being stuck running inside the tackles. St. Peter's prep has two very athletic offensive tackles as well, who can really seal that edge and, they are not going to be just reliant on running up the middle this year in a spread offense. They can spread out the field and they can confidently run outside the tackles because they have a tight end who can block brilliantly. And he did it on a few of those touchdowns. And he was honestly one of my players of the game, even though he didn't register a catch as a tight end. And for the Marauders, they're going to want Trent to not only be a blocker, but to be their, their short yardage weapon. You know, the, the Kenny Soares of last year, yes. you know? They, they, they wanted him to get those explosive plays within the middle of the field, try to get the 10-plus yards, and then just break out when he can. But as you mentioned, there was a lot of good blocking in this game, right? The offensive line doesn't get enough credit for the job they did in, in the last Friday's game. They were amazing. No sacks 
getting up is always a great line, you know. Again, 100-plus yards on the ground. I mean, what else do you want from this offensive line? We talked about in the preview. They're big guys. You know, they average about, what, 6'3", 300 yeah. pounds in that line? So, I mean, it's just crazy to see how, how great that line was in the first game. Yeah, and they're relatively young, too, which right. is, especially on the interior. The interior has a lot of new starters, you know, on both guard positions. You know, they're relatively new players coming out. So the fact that they got off to a good start and, you know, again, it's so strange to see how the score was 60 nothing. This just tells you how good of a complete game this was. And Renato, maybe after this, I want you to go through the, the scoring plays. If maybe just go through some of the scores in this game and how we wound up to getting to the six to the 60 to nothing game that it basically yeah. was is you look at the box score and you're thinking that champ long has two as 250 yards he has 199 sam slade and paul lefkowitz maybe have triple digit rushing yards himself well they have they combined for you know basically you know 69 rushing yards so it was an all-around very good game for the saint peter's prep team and how they opened up their season Right, and they, they started off, you know, first quarter, Sam Slate, Pablo quits that duo. They go for free touchdowns. Sam starts off with a one-yard touchdown. Pablo quits with a three-yard touchdown, and Sam goes for six in the first quarter. So it was 19-0 at the one. And then one of the big plays of the game, Eric Perez, 31-yard pick six to start the second quarter to make it to make it 26-0. Then, again, more Sam and Paul, you know, a couple more touchdowns there. And then the big plays ended up right at the end of the second half. Champ Long, 56-yard touchdown pass to Zion Fowler with 3.33 left to go. And then Avery Powell, you know, they didn't make too much of an impact on secondary because he is that lockdown corner nothing was really going his way but he makes his mark on special teams goes 67 yards to the house on a nice little bounce took it to the house and again champ Fitzroy ends the scoring in the third quarter 10 23 with a 41 yard touchdown to get a 61 points and then the mercy rule which has dictated the rest of the way there you go so that Avery Powell play that you brought up, maybe we'll do this before we go to defense. That Avery Powell play that we that you brought up, the punt return, that's my play of the game. That is my play of the game. Because in a way, we expect the big plays from the offense. We expect defense to get the pressure. But Avery Powell, who has struggled with injuries, you know, I feel like almost the past two years. You know, la- last year he was in and out of the lineup. And mm-hmm. when I saw him returning punts, that's new. We certainly didn't see that last year. And I never really saw Avery run in a straight line. And the fact that I, I got to see that as a fan of St. Peter's prep football with my own eyes, you know, watching Avery play corner last year and, you know, him wanting him to be out there on the football field. When I got to see him run in a straight line and how he just outran everybody on that promised Catholic offense for offensive special teams, it was really, really impressive. And it was really, really fun. And it was one of those punts where it wasn't just a traditional punt. It bounced and everybody bounced. The heat. A lot of bounces, Every, actually. He didn't call fair catch, which no. was smart on his end, you know, because right. if it wasn't if he wasn't going to field the punt, then you don't call fair catch. But if you do call fair catch, no matter what, you can't run after it or else it's a penalty and then you lose more yards. Mm-hmm. So he didn't call fair catch. It was a favorable bounce. It, it was by the sideline, but it bounced kind of straight towards him. So he runs up, gets momentum, 
catches that ball, tucks that ball away, and boom, you blink, and he's gone. And he's got one man to beat, and he beats his man. He switches the ball from his right arm to his left arm. So if there's a guy that's that's going to come and make a tackle, he doesn't get the ball stripped away. So having another explosive play option on all three phases of the ball now, offense, defense, and special teams, that is it, that's able to flip, just flip a game whenever you need it, it's very, very imp- – I've said the word impressive probably five times so far, but it is true. I mean, that is, that is the word to describe you know, how St. Peter's prep football started out this season. It was just an overall impressive game, and Avery Powell brought that element on special teams. Right. And it, it was it – was just imp- those two plays, right, should be pl- – both of them could be plays of the game. You know, the, the pass to Zion. Zion, was, Zion could have eaten a, a, a fresh sandwich. That's how open he was. He was so wide open. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what happened to the coach on that play, but, I mean, that was Champ's first touchdown as a murder quarterback, so he's going to remember that for, for the rest of his high school career. But, again, I, I don't know. I didn't think AD was going to return that when I, when I saw that bounce. I was like, yeah, no, he's just going to let it go. And I see him push up, and then it's the blink of the night, he's gone. I mean, that's the kind of impact he makes on special teams. If you remember yeah. the block, the block field goal, you know, he just has that instincts when it comes to special teams, big play, big, big moments, AV power. I, 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 I could agree with you, Judd. I think he could be player of the game. That, that was a, a, a great play for sure. Yeah, and I can't tell you how much coaches love that too. You know, everybody wants to be a star on offense and defense, but if you have that ability to not just the ability, but you want to make an impact on special teams, I mean, that is the stuff that coaches love. Because that right. is a phase of the game, and it's a very important phase of the game. I agree 100%. So t- talk to us about the defense, Justin. What, what, what did you see about this this more defense, putting up the zero on the stat sheets? Yeah, well, first and foremost, St. Peter's prep, they get pressure on the quarterback. And even with some key notable names leaving, you know, George Rooks, you know, him, him not being here, him graduating, right? that – him being the best player in the state of New Jersey, that's a huge loss. And then also KJ Miles, who I tried to talk so much when I was uh, being the color commentator on, on D1 Media Pro last year. I tried to bring up, K- up KJ Miles as much as I possibly could because, yes, all the attention did go to George Rooks because he would be the guy that would stuff that stat sheet. But KJ Miles was the guy who made the impact on the game that you had to look out for but it was such a tremendous impact on the game. That is a huge, huge blow to this defense. So mm-hmm. right away in my head, Renato, I'm thinking, how is this defense going to respond with some of the you know guys that now have to right. step up in the next man up mentality? Logan Barnes stepped up pretty darn well. Manny Cantillo had a sack. Uh, Bryce Rooks also had a sack. London Robinson also had a sack. So those guys kind of coming in and being – part of a tradition of St. Peter's prep, a pass rush that is deadly and that is lethal. They stepped in right away and they certainly did it. And coach Javon Parking, a former NFL offensive tackle. Now the defensive line coach at St. Peter's prep. He mentioned on the Jersey sports on access episode. That's next man up, next man up. You know, we can't feel sorry. I thought so. We got next man got to step up. We got to play our best. And, these guys, they fill the lane so well that it, it causes so much confusion for the other team, Justin. You know, they yeah. what, if he can't run the ball, right? Third second down, he can't run the ball, force him to those third and long situations, you're not going anywhere. That's no. I, I mentioned that on the pregame show as well. The Mars did a fantastic job all game long with that. Yeah. 
And uh, tell me one of your other plays of the game that happened on the defense side of the ball too, because it, it'll bring up a point that I have about Rich Hansen's defense. Right. So the, one of the big, the big plays by, by the defense was the sack strip by Jaden Bonsu. All right. Transfer from Hillside. I mean, it, it was a safety blitz. Bang. Knocked the ball. The quarterback prep recovered and, Boy, that was one of the most tremendous hits I've seen out of second there. That yeah. was fantastic. You know, and I, I've i seen it for two years now, calling D1 Media Pro games last year and then watching the broadcast on Friday. I am amazed. I am amazed as a football fan how well these student athletes run blitzes, complicated yes. blitzes. They're, they are running stunts. Safeties are coming from the secondary cornerbacks are coming from the slot and blitzing and everybody is filling their gap and they're fulfilling their responsibility. Nobody is playing hero ball and it is working and it's working at week zero, by the way, we're not talking. This is week 10 and they're, you know, they're executing stunts and they're executing linebacker safety, cornerback blitzes, et cetera. This is week zero where they had one scrimmage and they are executing these stunts brilliantly. And everybody is fulfilling their gaps and they're staying in their lanes and they're doing what they have to do in terms of what they're responsible for. So that is what lets me know is that, first of all, Rich Hansen still has that aggression on the defensive side of the ball. He's always had that as a defense coordinator. Now he's bringing that to being a head coach, too. He has that aggression of I'm going to put pressure in your face. And then we're not, you know, when you hit a quarterback like that, doesn't matter what level, (laughs) when when you hit a quarterback like that, it gets in their head. It really does, where their eyes are not going to be looking down the field for a receiver that much longer as it was compared to the start of the game. Their eyes are going to go down. They're going to glance down. Do I have to run? Do I have to get rid of the ball? Do I have to get out of here? And that is the impact that you can't actually, you know, see or, again, that doesn't show up like on a stat sheet. So, I mean, that was a heck of a job by the St. Peter's Prep front seven. Right. It, it was a great game by all three phases. You know, I mean, you, you couldn't script it a better victory to start off the season. I absolutely agree. What do you want to touch on next? Is there anything else that we really want to touch on in terms of a recap? Do we want to look forward? Where do you want to go? Yeah, well, let's look forward to next week. You know, unfortunately, since the Zone 6 Classic Montclair State University against West Orange, there won't be a live stream, but again, I'll be, I'll be covering the whole game. Digital Scout Twitter, make sure you follow at R Rodriguez SPP for all the updates. If there is a live stream from other sources, we will give them to you. Don't worry. But again, what do you think about this West Orange team, Justin, from last year compared to this year? See what happens. What do you well, think? I'll, it's tell you, I'll tell you what, you would know better or not if, if that quarterback from West Orange is, is still there. I believe he graduated, correct? Yeah, he graduated, yes. So I got to tell you, playing West Orange last year, I think West Orange besides the games in which St. Peter's Prep lost towards the latter end of the season. But in the the earlier first half, first quarter of the season, nobody was touching St. Peter's Prep. And West Orange, out of all teams, who was not in this, who was not in this, you know, a a lead of a conference that is the conference that St. Peter's Prep is in right now. The Super Football Conference. The Super Football Conference. West Orange is not in that. They played Prep very well. Their defense could not stop an explosive play offense that was St. Peter's Prep. But West Orange kept up with their quarterback and their passing offense. And really, I think that quarterback, individual quarterback effort was the best that St. Peter's Prep saw all of last season. So, you know, it, it, it kind of all depends who West Orange has developing in their ranks. 
But if they have that same offensive system and if they have similar quarterback play, I, this game could be a trap game for St. Peter's Prep. And I really hope that they are not overlooking just because they're not in this super big, important conference that is the conference that Prep is in. Mm -hmm. Just because they're not in the same conference, I really hope that they're not overlooking that because they were able to put some points on the board last year. So I hope they're going to prepare accordingly. Uh, obviously, you know, St. Peter's Prep podcast, we're rooting for St. Peter's Prep. But this is this is a good football team, and they're a well-coached team last year. So I'm excited to see what they're going to do this, uh, this upcoming week. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be, I, and even when we were talk, watching this game, Justin, the more still have things to work on, of course. And they're going to be working on this throughout the week. And I feel like each and every week going to get better and better and better, you know? Towards yep. that, that last game of the season against Bergen Catholic could be a, a dynamic one for sure. Yep, and I know those players. They you know, some some of the captains came on the show last week, and they talked about how that game is circled on each of their calendars, right. and that's the road. That's the goal, but it, the goal. it's not the season is not a sp uh, is not a sprint. It is a marathon. So take each week as it fits the last game, as exactly. like it's a state championship, and uh, that's going to be the way that this prep team is gonna be at its best if it takes each game as its own individual entity and i think they will they have very good coaching staff uh and I, i'm very look i'm i know that a lot of probably prep fans are look out i really want to get a bergen i really want to get a seton hall i really want to get a st joe's montville get excited for this west orange game because it does excited. have the potential to be a an exciting game and a good game because it really was last year even though prep ran away with it in the beginning and then west orange started the battle back a little bit so get excited for this game that's even this week too Yes, Marauder Nation, make sure you tune in for this game. Go go, go! support your brothers. Go do it. So this game was also fun for me as a team's reporter because, you know, I got to meet up with so many guys during this game for the media. You know, I got to see Kevin Connolly, Michael Cerrotti, D1 Media Pro, Jay Cook of Jersey Sports Zone, even getting to meet up with regional scout Ray Tedora. You know, the stores were out of the scout, but there's a lot of great people out there from the media perspective. And one of those stars was NJ.com's Pat Lanny. You know, Pat's been on the podcast before talking track with us. He is also the B writer for football, as we mentioned last time. So he was gracious enough to take a few minutes and give us his thoughts on the game against Primus Catholic on this week's edition of the State of the Marauders Hotline. Welcome to the State of the Marauders Hotline, sponsored by Siabra's Market. Located on 1315 Galloping Hill Road in Union, New Jersey. You'll find a huge variety of products in our stores. From the freshest fruit and vegetables to the tastiest meat and fish. Visit your local Siabra's Market store today. Hey, thank you for spending some time with us this week to talk about that epic performance that the Martyrs put up in Piscataway on Friday. We thank you again for spending some time with us this week. Hey, thanks for having me. As always, Renato, it's always great to be here talking to Marauder Nation. <laughs> so the Marauders were able to put up 54 points at halftime, which was described by our good friend Jay Cook of Jersey Sports Zone as one of the most dominating first halves he has witnessed. So what, what stood out to you the most in this game? What stood out the most is that I think it was a collection of a team – rebuilding and i don't know how to put that eloquently other than to say that paramus catholics got a long way to go before they're back to being the paramus catholic of five six seven years ago at jabril peppers right. i think that disparity is what stood out the most 
St. Peter's has always rebuilt and reloaded year in, year out, whereas Paramus Catholic has really changed their philosophy and said, we're not going to be a team that brings in transfers every year and relies on, on that to build this team. We're going to try to build it from the ground up. And I think that disparity and that formula was on full display Friday night. So I think it was just a complete mismatch and a great start if you're a Marauders fan. Right. And Premise Catholic only brought back three stars. So you're right. They're, they're, they're all rebuilding. Their quarterback was a freshman, I believe, right? Is that right? Yes. Yeah, freshman no. quarterback. They only had two seniors on the field last night. So it's tough to play at this level when you're a, a really young and experienced team. But I, I really like their coach, Steve Ryback. I think he's going to do a great job. And I think, you know, four or five years down the road, I think it'll be Premise Catholic back to being where they were. Yeah, those those prep premise Catholic rivalries a couple of years ago that was fantastic. I hope we hope we get that back soon. That that would be fantastic. I asked Ad Rich Hansen this question on the Eagles Corner, so I'm going to ask you the same question as well, but with a little bit of a twist. So, how does it compare covering a game at a site like Rutgers or MetLife or Montclair State than like at a high school's actual field? Uh, it's it's well. First off, you're, you're a great stat, man. You understand how difficult it is to do statistics <laughs> at the high school level. Yeah. So you get to Rutgers and they're, they have a professional staff to do the stats for you. And you're like, oh, my God, this is amazing. My job just got so much easier. So that's the first mm -hmm. thing that comes to mind. Like, wow, getting, getting stats done for me. Because usually, you know, we're tr standing right next to the chains to get every marking and jotting every play. Right. Down. Jot the numbers down. Jot the numbers down. Get the get the down and distance. That's the most important thing as a high school sports reporter <laughs> right. covering football. And so that that's one. And and then two, it's just seeing the kids get to experience playing in a professional college stadium. It, it's it's great. It's definitely not Caven Point. <laughs> I'll say that. <laughs> and I think it's 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 always fun. And and usually the games are at the start and the end of the season. So it's like. It's a good way to start, and it's a good way to end is what I'm trying to say. Right. I agree with that 100%. So after this victory for the Marauders, wh which players are you keeping a close eye on now as the season progresses? I think the first play after the onside kick was the double reverse to Zion Fowler, right? And he yes. ran for like 35, 36 yards. Yes. I'm, I'm really keeping an eye on Zion Fowler. I think he's going to be one of the top receivers in the state this season. And then I was really watching the offensive line on Friday night. And usually that's what I never do. But I think a big question mark about St. Peter's prep this year is going to be that line. And I thought uh, Andre Oban was fantastic at, at one of the tackles and Eric King was great at, at the other tackle right. position. So I'll be watching the offensive line a lot. And then I think, the defensive line was very impressive to me as well. I thought the pressure was was nonstop against PC. And, and one of the guys that really stood out, stood out was Bryce Rooks. I thought he had a terrific game. He did. He did. And for the offensive line, right, when you get 100-plus rushing yards as a team and allow zero sacks, I mean, you can't get better than that, my friend. That's just a fantastic job of the online all game long. Yeah, they, they played great and, and – I think they broke in three new starters and yes. they looked, it was a seamless transition to that new group. And uh, that's what you want to see. 
So the Marauders are going to look ahead to next week. They're going to take on the Mounties of West Orange at Montclair State. So, so what's going to be the key for prep in that game against West Orange, you think? I think it's, it's going to be the same thing as PC. I think it's the same. Keep the foot on, on the gas and don't let these guys hang around. I think what you saw when St. Peter's prep played West Orange last year is they scored – I think five touchdowns in the first half and, and Taj was having a great game. So I think it's the same formula that they applied to even, even their opener against Grammys Catholic come out aggressively show that you're St. Peter's prep. You should be able to win this game just on a talent perspective alone. West orange is a very good public school as we know, but right. they don't have the, the collection and totality of players that St. Peter's prep does. So, if you're prep, just just do what you do best and come out aggressively and, and show why you're the number two team in the state. And this was the first game for Rich Hansen the third. So now you've seen both the elder Rich Hansen and the younger Rich Hansen coach this team. I know it's only one game, but, yeah. but in your mind, were there any differences that you saw for how the team was coached out there? I The only thing – no, I can't say I saw anything different. It was – especially a game like that where it was so one-sided. Right, right. I mean, coaching really didn't have – obviously it had a lot to do with the success of the team, but it wouldn't have made a difference in the outcome of the game, obviously. So I think Young Richance's job yesterday was to keep everyone focused and make sure they're doing their jobs, and obviously the score was pretty indicative of that success. So I did see less yelling at the officials, I think. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Big Rich Hansen is notorious for that. Not that we needed to see any of that in the 61 nothing game, but uh, I did see uh, no no complaining to the officials, so that was one thing I did see differently. Well, I'm sorry team. if you're listening. Yeah. <laughs> Rich Hansen, I, that's not <laughs> meant to be a disparaging comment. It's an observation. <laughs> so you, you mentioned that this murders team is number two in the state of New Jersey right now. So what... What are your expectations for this team moving forward as we head throughout this 2021 season? I think they're a great team. I think they're just – they're right where they were last year. I think even though they lost some really talented players, you know, Taj Bullock being one of them, I think they've they filled those holes nicely. So the expectation uh, – and, you, you know, you hear Rich Hansen talk about we want to be number one, we want to win a state championship every year. I think that's exactly where this team should be, needs to be, and should be. I think we start with Bergen Catholic as the number one team. And, I, you know, I just think their collection of talent is really good. That's why they're number one to start the season. But as we've seen so many times covering high school football and, and doing this poll that the team that starts number one rarely finishes number right. one. Right, right. It's rare. So, so you know how it is. You just got to show up every week play the game and see how it goes. Every, every team is talented on paper, but there are always things that you can't plan for or, and are unexpected every season. So to get to number one, it's, it's just keep your head in the game and, and do, do what you got to do. It's going it's to be interesting. You know, they got West Orange this upcoming week, then they got Northeast, and then they're going to start playing the uh, divisional slate of games. So I, I can't wait to see, especially that game against Seen Hall compared to last year, you know, with that, mm-hmm. that, that tough loss. See the Mars get revenge in that one. I think that's uh, definitely motivation. I think Rich Hansen gave me this good quote when I was doing, doing the preview. He said, 
you know, we lost two games last year and anytime you lose a game, you're not accomplishing everything you want to accomplish. So that revenge factor will certainly be there. And I think just in the big picture last year, when you think of that Seton Hall game, it had all the, all the makings of a, of a classic upset, right? St. Peter's right. was coming off the COVID shutdown and, and didn't have any practice time. Seton Hall prep was looking for a big upset. They had a good group of guys and they're well coached obviously too. So mm-hmm. I think, I think they just got caught in, caught in it all. And, and, and that happens in high school football so often. Nothing right. to be ashamed of, obviously. No, but you're no. right. Certainly, certainly a good motivator for, for this year's game. And lastly, since you are, you know, the track reporter as well, we'll talk a little bit about some cross country starting in a couple of weeks. So let, let's do a little bit of a sneak preview for this Marauders yeah. team. You know, they got a new coach, right? Chris Caulfield steps down. Russell Jenkins takes over as a head coach. So, so what are your initial thoughts on this track team? Well, my initial thought is Russell Jenkins, what a great guy and former colleague of mine at Door Feature Service, where we first worked together. He was actually covering high school sports and with us and was on our staff. So Russell and I go way back and I know he's going to do a tremendous job. Uh, secondly, I, I think just when you're St. Peter's has been, I think, the team to be in cross country in Hudson County for a while. And, and I don't think, I don't see that changing, obviously. So let's just say I know that St. Peter's prep is going to have a great season on the trails and the coaching change will be seamless with the way I know Russell's been, been one of Chris Caulfield's right-hand guys the last couple of years right. too. So I, let's just say it'll be a seamless transition and, and success will remain. I, I agree. So, so good luck to the track guys and Pat. Thank you once again for coming on the podcast to talk about track football, everything. You know, you, you're the man. We we appreciate you coming on this week. Thank you again, buddy. Thank you for having me, Renato. Hopefully, I'll be back soon talking more prep football and other sports. Looking forward to it. Great, and you're always welcome to come anytime, Pat. Anytime. You're always a special guest of the podcast. Love it, love it, love it. For you guys, do a great job. You you know that. So. Can't wait to Thanks, see that. Pat. Well, everyone, thank you for tuning into this week's episode. Again, thank you to Justin for coming on, co-host of Talking Giants. Really appreciate it. I think this will be a weekly thing that Justin will come on, so, so stay tuned for more of Justin's thoughts. Be sure to spread the word of the State of the Marauders podcast by sharing our social media profile at SOT Marauders to everyone you know and continue to check them out for all of the latest updates. Before we better do this week, I want to first thank again Pat Lanny for coming on this week to give us his thoughts. You do a great job, Pungy.com. Really appreciate it. And I know other ones are waiting to hear from the big man himself. So we present to you this week's edition of the AD's Corner. See you all next week. And as always, let's go prep. This is Rich Hansen, Prep's Athletic Director. Tune in to my segment on the State of Marauders podcast, the Athletic Director's Corner for all things prep athletics. Insights, updates, scoops coming your way. 
Welcome to the AD's Corner, sponsored by the Tona Bene Group. They provide leadership solutions for nonprofit organizations, as well as professional fundraising, executive solutions, and sales for New Jersey businesses. For more information, call 201-932-0100 today. That's 201-932-0100. Hello, everyone. I am Renato Rodriguez. I am joined once again by the longtime athletic director, Rich Hansen. Rich, welcome back to the podcast, buddy. How are you feeling today? Feel great. Good to be back. Great to be back in the mix in the, uh, another fall athletic season. Right. And, and first off, you know, you are on the sidelines for the Marauders' 61 nothing victory against the Palins on Friday. But it's the first time in 33 years that you were not wearing a headset. So what was that feeling like? <laughs> a little weird. A little weird. But, um, you know, I've been at practices and watching guys and had a great, you know, great offseason and a great preseason. So it was it was fun to, you know, to watch the action. It's really, really great to see, you know, the kids back and, you know, fans there and, and uh, people enjoying themselves. It's a great venue, right. obviously. And I and I thought our kids played really well. Really, uh, really proud of uh, how we represent ourselves. Obviously, there's things to tune up and work on, but I think overall it was it was a cool game to uh, open up the season with. Right. And speaking of the venue, what leading up to the game, arriving on the sideline, did, did any nostalgia come back to your mind when when you were coaching? This team at Rutgers when you were coaching? Yeah, a lot of things go through your mind when you're – the first time I wasn't coaching, you know, on uh, opening day in 39 years. So it was a little different. But I've, I've coached a lot of games at Rutgers, both for prep and North-South games and Governor's Bowl. You know, and obviously I've been on the sidelines for some Rutgers games. So it's uh, it's like home away from home. And, and I and – I, uh, you know, I wanted to move the game there because I thought it would be a great experience for our kids and and our fans and the jumbo, the jumbo screen. Just a really cool, really cool site. So everything worked out. It was it was a little weird, but I was uh, proud of the program and proud of my son and and the staff. I thought they did a great job. Not just Friday night, but you know, Friday night's the end of it. They so Dang. much goes into it. So much goes into it, and they did a great job in the summer. You know, summer workouts and preseason like I said so yeah there's a lot of stuff going through my mind but it was uh, that'll be my spot um I got to make sure that uh ambulances show up and refs show up and right. people are behaving so that's the role of the AD and that's uh, that's what I'm doing not, not uh no no football input on game day that's for sure not on game day but uh I have my thoughts and opinions and uh you know I'll make them known when I think it's uh necessary <laughs> so Let's talk about, you know, having the team playing at big venues like Rutgers, MetLife. We got Montclair State, another big venue next week. Is there a different mindset among the players and coaching staff as they prepare to enter essential environments, you think? Well, I think, you know, th those those venues, we've played in so many great venues as an athletic program, you know, and, and particularly football. I mean, you know, we've played in Florida, we've played in Massachusetts, we've played in Ireland, for God's sake. So, mm -hmm. you know, the program is not new to that. You know, we've also played in great venues. You know, we played a hockey game at Yankee Stadium. I don't know how many other high schools can say that. Right. Um, 
basketball is played in some unbelievable venues. You know, baseball is played in some great venues. Wrestling, unbelievable you know, places to wrestle. I mean, you know, they've been to Minnesota a few years back and at the Clash and other places. So the charge really for coaches is to, you know, give our kids the best high school experience we can. And when I see those op- opportunities present themselves, you know, it just makes sense, you know, for us to jump on them. I think it's great for the kids. I think it's great for the school. It's good exposure for the program. And uh, kids get jacked up and they're, they're excited to play in those places. So, and, and also it gives the kids a chance to be, you know, Friday night on the college campus, to be at Rutgers, to get a feel yeah. for the environment. Because we do have a lot of players at Rutgers and we do have a good relationship with Rutgers. And, and that's important, you know, from a recruiting standpoint. So for, for Rutgers and for our kids. And we also had some some young men, you know, at the game that uh, considering their high school choices and it was just fun for us to, uh, you know, to, to have them see us in that environment too. So let's switch gears a bit, talk about the actual game on the field. Uh, that, that first half, Rich, has to be one of the more exciting first half of football that I have seen in this Marauder program. So first of all, what, what did you think of those first two plays of the game to open things up? Uh, well, I, I knew what the sequence was going to be if we got the uh, onside kick. I, you know, the reverse was, was a good strike fast call, and, you know, Zion did a nice job. Almost, almost took it in. You know, I think I think it was right. It was the right way to go. Got nothing to lose. You know, listen. Let's not fool ourselves. This year, we knew we were much better than they were. If it backfired on us, you know, the game wasn't lost, and it wasn't going to be a, a grave issue. So, I think it was a great calculated risk. It worked. Our kids executed it, you know, really well. And, you know, I was I was happy that uh, that jump started us, and it kind of got them on the heels right away. So when you're better than somebody and you get them on their heels right away, you know, you're almost you're almost setting yourself up for instant success and, and that's what happened. So, you know, but it was more it, it was it reminded me a lot, not quite as pretty and efficient as we had Bergen Catholic on ESPN a few years back and oh, yes, yes. And fourteen and it was the most flawless half of football I've ever been around in my life. And that is true. That is true. That that Bergen Catholic first half on ESPN that that was up that's up there one of the best ones that I've seen as well. You're right. Yeah. They did a great job and you know, that night and, and it was fun and it was fun the other night too. You know. So that's what it's about. That's what all those weeks of preparation are around. And that, you know to see it to see it, like I said, just come to fruition the way it did was awesome. So to me, so based on what you saw in the whole game, what what was the most impactful play of the game in your eyes? You know, for me you know, obviously I was the head coach for 33 years, but I coached running backs for a lot of years in my time, including last season. So for me, you know, to watch our backs just dominate the way they did, and then Lightning did a great job. The two very, very different but very dynamic players. Uh, you know, Paul has been in the mix for four years, and Sammy has really, really worked hard going into last season. I thought we, we were able to establish some new things last year with our running backs, and they've they've improved on all that. And Sammy's become, my opinion, a Division One threat. You know, I agree. Player. So I agree. To watch them play, and dominate the game like that, they ran with. You know, Paul is just 
it just kill people. I mean, it, you <laughs> you do not want to try and tackle him. <laughs> you don't. When you, when you have a, a guy like that, it's just you know he's a red zone dominator, and right. and he's more than that. And then you know, the thing I loved about it ran with authority. They protected the football. They pressed the points of attack and let their athleticism take it from there. And to do that, you have to have decent play on the offensive line. I thought we had decent play on the offensive line. For the most part. You have four three hundred pounders, you better be able to run the ball. And we were. So I thought that was that was good. And you know, our receivers made some plays, champ made some some decent throws. So I thought the offensive game plan was was good. Defensively we ran to the ball well. And you know, we have some players on defense. I think front end and the back end are particularly strong, but we ran to the ball really well as a team. And again, I know Primus Catholic is, is in a different level of development at this stage of the game, but you still have to execute and do those things. And we did. You know, I think there's some things to clean up on special teams, as usual in game ones. But other than that, I thought the offensive execution for most of the time was, was pretty good. We uh, ran the ball well offensively and played, ran to the ball well defensively. And, you know, that's those are things that are got to be staples if you're going to be successful against against a, you know good competition we have coming up. So your son Rich Hansen the third, you know, he got his first victory as a head coach. So what did it, what did it mean to you to be able to witness that in person? Yeah, it was just a proud day personally, not just Friday night, like I said, but just you know he's he's was part of of our tradition as a player that was part of our tradition as an assistant coach and that was part of the tradition as a head coach and and he's able to have his fingerprints on things that he would want to do and i and i think that that's the great part of it right you you, he understands how it was built he understands the foundation and what's important to me and he believes in that like i said because he was a part of it so he's He's obviously building it on those things and keeping it on those things, but he's, he's putting his, his twist on things, which is important. Just like I did 34 years ago, you know? I mean, I, I, I put my twist on things, and I mean, we were at a different level, a different stage, so it was about building it to, to be a national power. Now, Rich's job is to keep it a national power and, and, and you know, get to the, uh, to the next stage of it. So he's on his way to doing that. A lot of things. I mean, listen. Mike Tyson had said my favorite saying of all time. Everybody's got a fight plan until you get punched in the face, right? Right. So, <laughs> right. Everything is rosy now and everything's great. And I told him yesterday, the day after a win feels great. I said, when you're a head coach, the day after a loss is like a step closer to death. And you got to be able to overcome that. And fix it. So we'll see as we go along when and if, you know, a loss or losses come bad performances happen you know that's when you really have to dig deep and figure it out so he knows that and the staff knows that so there are going to be ups and downs and twists and turns but you always go back to the foundation to get you back and and that's what will happen and that's the thing i'm i'm uh, looking forward to i'm not looking forward to losing I'm looking <laughs> forward to a, i'll say i'll say a bad performance right. and watching us watching us progress through that and, and recover because, you know, listen, our division is is brutal. Yeah. And toughest division in football, I think. 
it's exciting. And then, you know, you throw Seton Hall into that from the other division. You know, Billy's done a great job, as everybody uh, knew he would, and certainly I knew he would. Um, that's going to be a, a, a Donnie Burke game. So we have a lot of challenges ahead of us, but, you know, getting the first one is great. And I think my son has matured as a coach. Just, you know, all of a sudden you wake up one day and you're the head coach and you know you can't do some of the things you did before or say some of the things you said before in certain ways and you, you, you mature, you grow up automatically. And he's done that. And, you know, obviously still controlling the defense and they played really well Friday too. So he's able to pull – both feet off, which, by the way, was exactly my situation in 1988. <laughs> <laughs> so, lastly, you know, we have next week the, the West Orange Mounties. So, so what can you tell us a bit about our next week opponents as we head into the game on Friday night at Montclair State? Yeah, I think I think West Orange will certainly be be better than PC. I think I don't think they're at that stage. They do uh, an excellent job up there. You know, they have tremendous facilities. They have a, a robust process in terms of attracting kids and developing players. Uh, I know their coaches. You know, football is full-time deal to them. And they have some talent. You know, they really do. They have some, some talented kids. So I look for a stiffer challenge. I look for a little bit, uh, you know, get pushed a little bit. I certainly hope so because, like I said, you don't really find out anything until you get – punched around a little bit, but again, we're right. playing at a great venue, and West Orange is, you know, one of the top five public schools in North Jersey, and and I and it's great to play some public school, you know, competition. I think you got to play out of state schools, you got to play our division, you got to play public schools, you got to get a great feel, a, a really balanced feel for the competition, see where you're at. So, this is right. a great step for us, you know, to play a public school and. Again, at a great venue, and, and it's game two. So some people believe you make the biggest progress of the year between games one and two because now you have your first barometer. So okay. I'm looking for us to improve in some of those areas that I think we need to improve in. Regardless of the score, if we can improve in those areas, to me, I think, you know, we will be a better football team coming out of week two than we were coming out of week one. So that was longtime athletic director, Rich Hansen. Rich, thank you once again for coming on this week's episode of the podcast. We really appreciate it, buddy. Thanks, pal. Great job. Go hey, this is linebacker Eric Perez, and you are listening to the State of the Marauders podcast sponsored by D1 Media Pro, the number one live stream in the state for high school sports.